0: You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 40. Welcome back to where we chat with a different entrepreneur every week. From app developers, sales experts, and coaches to authors and social media influencers, we focus on their journeys, how they built their businesses, and the lessons they learned along the way. Together, we confirm that there is no formula to success. I want to thank all the listeners that have been supporting the No Formula podcast. A special thank you to everyone on LinkedIn who reached out to give me feedback about the podcast. For the chance to get into the next episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe. In today's episode, we chat with Martin Coulomb, founder of Osidea, a custom digital solution provider. Martin found his love for programming when he pitched a new scheduling software to Pepsi. From there, he worked for Procter & Gamble and then started freelancing. Although the growth of Osadea started off slow, the team went from one employee to 40 employees in six years. Malte shares the one factor that could have helped him grow his business even faster. And he talks about the growing pains he had to overcome. Visit osadea.com to learn how you can get a custom web or mobile application. In the meantime, keep listening to hear about the six factors that helped Martin grow OCDEA. Hi, Martin. Thank you so much for joining the No Formula podcast today. Uh, I'm so happy that you're here.
1: Hi, Laura. That's my pleasure. Really happy to be here as well.
0: Okay. So I just want to kick this interview off and I want to ask you about your engineering programming background. Can you tell us a few of the interesting projects that you worked on?
1: In fact, like... uh... I really like to do things and, and do projects of all sorts. so before going to engineering school, I had like a, a business about like landscaping business when I was younger in high school, mm-hmm. then I started a business around like organizing snowboarding competition. And when I joined university, uh, I studied in industrial engineering, but at that moment, I discovered uh, programming and really got interested into it, so started to do a project around that. Mm-hmm. my first software uh, that i sold to pepsi uh, for like employee scheduling and i went on from there like uh, i decided to work into that field afterwards even though i didn't explicitly study that field programming i uh, yeah. really liked it and learned by myself so wait what did you what did you study uh, industrial engineering
0: okay industrial engineering and then how did you get the project for pepsi how like it yeah, was random
1: fact, yeah exactly like in fact I had like one class about C++ and mm-hmm. one other class about databases. So it got me going to, to read more about it. And at school, I saw an ad from Pepsi that they were looking for software from graduate students, uh, to help them with, and I, I went, I was like, I could do that. I think so. I went to see my teacher and ask him, do you think I'm able to do that? Mm-hmm. So his answer was like, with the skills you learned so far, no, but you can definitely learn those and you'll be able to do it. So. I made a proposal to Pepsi, uh, presented my idea for the projects, so they gave me the contract, and went on and built the software, and then they started to use it into their uh, manufacturing plant to schedule the, the schedule of the, all the employees of the plant.
0: That's so cool. Do you know if they still use it?
1: Oh, uh, I doubt it because okay. it's a wild old technology, <laughs> so I would really doubt it. I hope not for them. Okay. <laughs> <So>. okay.
0: <laughs> Someone from Pepsi is listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, we're still using it.
1: <laughs> I hope not.
0: <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Um, I actually love that story because you just kind of put yourself out there and you're like, I don't know this yet, but I could know this. And you proposed it to them and it worked. And that's amazing.
1: Yeah. In fact, In fact, a lot of the things we do, like we don't know, even if we start like a regular job, mm-hmm. when we start that job, usually we don't know. Uh, how we're gonna do it? Maybe we know. We worked in that field for some years, but we change industry. It's gonna be different. So all the things we do are quite new. Mm-hmm. So same thing for projects. A lot of stuff I've done. Like I don't know how to do them, but learned on the fly. Worked with people. Like learned a lot. So. Uh,
0: I I actually, if you don't mind talking a little bit more about that, because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs that are just starting off have trouble maybe getting their their first customers because they might not feel qualified enough and what do you think maybe your landscaping experience helped you but what do you think has allowed you or what skills allowed you to just put yourself out there and get that project
1: yeah i think like uh but of course, there's, I'm a bit biased because I love to do things. I like to do new things. I like mm-hmm. extreme sports, so I'm a bit of a risk taker. So uh, okay. it's, it's a bit easier uh, for me. But uh, One of the projects that was really interesting and totally new was organizing snowboarding competition when I was in, uh, in university. Mm-hmm. And, uh, basically, the goal is, was to have fun, do a project, learn a lot. So I think having fun was a key component for me uh, to do that project, like a lot of my project. Um, so but I forgot if I just wait, there's never a, good, a right moment. Uh, is the client there now? Is it gonna be there in two years or in three years? If he's not mm-hmm. there now, he's not gonna be there anymore in two years, so there's no point to wait. I prefer to try it. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, then I try something else afterwards. So
0: that's really cool. Of all the projects that you worked on that we just talked about, so maybe your landscaping, the snowboarding, Pepsi, I know also know you worked for Procter Gamble. Of all those experiences, what do you think has taught you the biggest lesson that you've carried through your, your career?
1: Yeah, I think like the snowboarding competition uh, was the one that where I learned the most, right? Like it was basically what it was. It was uh, We started in 2004. Uh, we organized a competition downtown Montreal uh, mm-hmm. called the Street Static. <clears throat> so it, we had to build an artificial snow park downtown Montreal, St. Catherine, uh right the right behind like the the simons uh, at the time there was no building there so but we never done that i never run like a big business like that so we had to learn everything from sales and marketing to get sponsors you know legal to deal with a contract people mm-hmm. management so all, all the athletes putting the competition on television he was at music plus at the time for people that are a bit older like me <laughs> like channels. So. I, I
0: remember i remember <laughs> okay.
1: so it's been it's been a lot of uh, things like planning and uh, responding to changes and problems mm-hmm. so, so for us it's been a, a, a great way to learn and to try out things um, but one of my biggest lessons I learned there is that if you don't put yourself into this room and you don't try and you're you're scared to maybe push a bit people politely mm-hmm. nothing's gonna happen and the example is we try to get sponsors for the competition for a long time we got no sponsors and at some point we're like okay, we need to get McDonald's. Otherwise, it's not going to work, right? And uh, But they were not responding. So I, we went and go see a store, asked to speak to the manager. He transferred our document to the marketing agency that wasn't linked to the McDonald's account. And uh, we called the girl at the, at the agency. And so I'm looking at your, your stuff. I'll call you back in two weeks. Interesting. Two weeks later, no call. We called back. Interesting, but give me two more weeks. That's okay. So two weeks later, call again. She's like, look, I will call you back when it's the right time. And then we realized that it's never going to happen. And mm-hmm. if we don't have sponsors, we can't run the event. So I said to my, my two uh, partners that was doing that with me, I'm going to go in person. I'm going to stay in the building until she meets me for five minutes. And I'm guaranteed when she meets us, we're going to get like, the, the sponsorship. So my, my colleague was like, hey, we cannot do that. So I was like, okay, I'll go along. Like, Don't worry. So one of my partners came with me, even in the car on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my friend, Sha, was like, are you sure? Should we do that? So yeah, yeah. let's do that. So we went there. And at the building, the receptionist asked us, do you have an appointment? No, uh, we don't have an appointment. So, but we'll wait. We'll be patient. And she said, give me your paperwork. I'll give it to her. She's going to call you back. And we said, no, she's not calling us back. So we'll wait politely until she's available. We'll stay around until 6 p.m. If not, we'll come back tomorrow. One hour later, the receptionist told us, in two days from now, you have a meeting at that time. Don't be late. So we came back for that meeting. Mm-hmm. And the next day after that, we got our sponsorship for McDonald's. Then from there we got the one from Rogers and so on. So mm-hmm. we but to me, my biggest learning is that sometimes you always have to be polite and respectful, but if you're a bit pushy in a respectful manner of others, like things can happen, right? No, no one's going to give you something, but if you push for it, it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Okay. I don't know if you can share this with us, but can you tell us how much they gave you?
1: a very good amount like, uh,
0: <laughs> did you go in saying like oh I want a million dollars or did they offer you an amount
1: no we had a uh, plan a proposal oh a okay
0: okay
1: had, okay. Like, yeah. okay I'm a McDonald's customer since then Like, I never again. if I eat fast food that's McDonald's
0: because <laughs> <laughs> you have to pay the back
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. very long, people, uh, yeah you uh, have to tell your whole family <laughs> <laughs> to start going to McDonald's
0: <laughs> okay so all this eventually led to creating Osedea which is your company can you tell us more about what you guys do and where the name comes from
1: yeah definitely like um Osedea uh, in fact is a bilingual name which was something really important for me i really wanted to have something that that's bilingual since mm-hmm. in canada we're a bilingual country but not only in canada in montreal uh, i like that that diversity aspect of a name so Osedea is a mix of um Ose so in English, I like, kind of like kind of bold kind of, mm-hmm. and the uh, idea. So Oze Dea. so that's mm-hmm. for that. So I, I kind of like the fact that it was bilingual. In fact, today at Oze Dea, we have five core value, diversity and inclusivity is one of them, which is really uh, close to art. So I find the, the name that when we started with the, the company, uh, went directly in that direction, which, which I really like, what do we do at Oze uh, In fact, we're a digital firm where we build like uh, digital products for our clients. Um, I'll just explain a bit more more in detail. So basically, 50% of our work is more toward uh, consumers. So we do mobile applications, for example, for TV sports, so like a sports television network to watch live TV, uh, stats, uh, news uh, about sports. We did apps for the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts, where we uh, do indoor geolocation. And when people stroll around across the museum, we change the music in their headphones according to what they're looking at. So they're looking at a oh, seven cool. piece, they walk, the music changed because now they're in the 18th century. So we do a lot of apps like that for radio stations and other kinds of like businesses. So that's 50%. And the other 50% of stuff we do is more kind of like software for businesses to improve their, their processes. So an example would be, we work with the mining industry where we have like sensors in the mines. We collect all that data. We process it and we return to the operators at the mine, mining side, uh, what to do to optimize the extraction, for example, of copper, for example. So, okay, turn, turn that, move that pipe, uh, the pH in that pool of chemical is too low, add more chemical, add less and so on. I can, of course, I'm, I'm simplifying the process, mm-hmm. but we have them operate more efficiently. So we do software, for example, in the mining industry, aerospace, uh, manufacturing, um, any kind of business. So all our projects are very uh, different. So that's what we yeah. like to think about this. Like they're, they're all very different. So the they're
0: so diverse. Stuff. Like you cannot have someone in the office that's an expert in like copper and mining. No, no, exactly. Right?
1: <laughs> but, like, um, we're actually getting quite good at the, the mining <laughs> space. That's surprising. I never thought about that. But, uh, but yeah, we, we, we touch a lot of stuff. So the person working in, uh, on copper, like the, the next month or a couple of months later, can work on a startup for mental health, for, mental health, for example. Like it's very diverse. They, they change so yeah. from a big international to a startup. We have all types of companies. And I think it's what people like, to, to change stuff. Change yeah. yeah.
0: But doesn't it take time to do all that research for yeah. all these different industries? Like, doesn't that take time away from maybe, I don't know, creating the software?
1: Yeah, there, there's pros and cons, right? So yeah. obviously, like, we have to learn... Uh, the domain about about the domain where we're working in so like Mm -hmm. knowledge and all that stuff but at the same time the 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 expertise we have from touching so many different different, like uh, software or platforms or being really creative in different industry Mm -hmm. that's knowledge that we can bring to to our clients as well right so um yes there's pros there's many pros and cons yeah Uh, of course but uh, some our clients see the value and, and we believe it's it's great, but no matter what, it's what we like to do. So, so we'll continue that way.
0: Yeah, no, no, I love it. It's just like from an outsider point of view. And I'm sure like even in like my business textbooks, it's like, oh, always pick a niche and then grow with that niche. And here you guys are thriving and working on so many different things. So I love that. Uh, so just going back to your story on how OCD started, how did you get the idea?
1: Yeah, in fact, uh, I didn't, it's been a long process. In fact, I I like businesses when I was younger, went to mm. university. And after university, um, I moved to Toronto I had to work at Procter & Gamble because
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I wanted to learn English, improve my English. For sure, you can hear my accent. That's quite thick. So I'm You're pretty my-
0: bilingual. <laughs> You're doing very <laughs> <But> well.
1: <laughs> so I went to Procter to, to improve my English. But after, and I thought I'll go one year, I'll come back and start a business. But in fact, I love so much my job over there. Uh, that I stayed there for five years. I worked in a team called like uh, uh, Emerging Technologies, where we're like trying all like new stuff,
0: uh, oh, that's before cool. moving
1: that to like teams who do projects. So it was mm-hmm. it was really really fun. We're a small team, and uh, so I really enjoyed it. And then at one point I said, okay, I'm never going back. Like uh, I'm I'm doing this. And one day uh, I got some sort of a promotion, and they, they relocated me to to Brazil. However, the work that I to do the work I started to do there changed. Right, I was not hands on on project, not touching. Mm-hmm. New tech, I was more doing paperwork, analysis, study uh, around that for for IT, uh, for Brazil, uh, for the company, and I didn't like it as much. So after six months, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I don't really like enjoy that work anymore, so I'm just going to go back home in Montreal. I'm going to start freelancing, uh, doing mobile apps, um, and see, see where it takes me. So then it's it's all started as a video, right? So I started doing mobile apps, expanded into the web. Um, and so and and so on. So it was really like I want to do something else.
0: Yeah.
1: I want to do projects. I want to be hands on. So, so I said the best thing for me is to do to be a freelancer. I can choose the work I want to. Uh, I can work on, on great stuff. And things came in. I said let's start a company and let's do it.
0: So, uh, okay, what year was this when you started freelancing?
1: And end of two thousand eleven. So, okay, we well, can say like 2012.
0: Yeah. So you start freelancing, and how long? How long until you hire your like first employee?
1: It took it took quite a bit of time, right? Like uh, we've been growing like really fast in the past few years, but at the beginning mm. it was quite slow. It took it took me like uh, almost three years uh, to get the first two people on board. I hired two people almost at the same time. The first two, so uh, Angus and Alex. By the way, thanks for for joining at the beginning when there was no one. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so it, t- it took about three years so that I could get like enough projects to-, to sustain, like having two people with me.
0: Okay. So when you were, when you were freelancing out of curiosity, how many projects would you take on at once? And how many did you need to afford these two other people?
1: Yeah. Like when I was freelancing, I was mostly working on, on one project at a time. And oh. at one point, I've been lucky to get like a, a big project that I could not do myself, right? So at this point, I had to take the decision, okay, I'll get people to help me and mm-hmm. I will not really have a salary anymore or a very small one to afford to have people to help me, but that's also going to free me up some time to go and find other project and, and get the wheel rolling, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that, that's how it came with like a, a bigger project that I couldn't do myself. I could have maybe refused it because yeah, I cannot do it, but it's at that point. So, okay, let's try it. Let's bring people, some some people on board, and let's get uh, let's get paid a bit less. And uh, I don't have kids yet, so <laughs> <laughs> it's the time to do it.
0: That's, a, I, I love how this kind of almost happened by accident and you're like, yeah, I'm going to freelance and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to start a business. <laughs> <laughs> so you start the freelancing at the end of like 2011. When did you like name like, oh, this is Osadea. Uh,
1: in fact, when I started freelancing, I kind of like uh, incorporated myself and, oh, and tri- right. Because there's a client that I was like hoping to get that was asking me to, to be formally. Uh, Registered as a business, as, and okay. as a freelancer, so I had to create a company, create a name. So from that point, I was freelancing, but working under under the company I created.
0: Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. So you, you didn't have to raise any capital or anything. It was just kind no. of it was a slow start, but then things started to pick up. So when did things started to pick up?
1: Yeah, really, like when we started to get the projects uh, in two thousand fourteen, then the the ball started to roll for us, right? So we got the projects. I've been able to to keep the people when the project was finished to, to get new ones and, and so on. So, so from that point, we've been able to constantly like add projects, add people and so on. Yeah, we're, we've been lucky that we didn't have to raise capital. And I think like it's a perfectly valid avenue to raise capital and it helps grow business faster. On my end, like the growth from 2012, when end of 2011, 2012, when I started to today, that now we're 40 people at the, at the company. You know, we can consider that maybe as a, as a slow growth or fast growth depends, but, uh by not taking capital on my end, it allowed me also to keep my freedom and mm-hmm. run the business like I want to run it on a very, like, uh, human way. And it's not because you're taking capital that you cannot do it on a human way, but <laughs> if I want to do something, like, I you know, I have the freedom to do it. I have the freedom to help the people in the team if something happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can I can create the programs that I want to make sure, like, the, the culture is great, the work-life balance is great, uh, that people can grow personally and professionally at the mm-hmm. company. So, by... I know not doing that. I've been able to to keep the the freedom, and today I think it's for us. It, it's great, and we don't have external pressure to do certain things or to reach certain milestone of profit or sales. We want to do it because we want to get better every year. So always push ourselves, but it's not coming from externally. It's because we want to do it. So for me, it's been a good way. But there's I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. It's just the way for for me that work, and often we need. We hear that, okay, we need to raise capital and so on, but there's, there's other ways to to do it as well. And I'm an example, although I'm in the service space, which is different from a product. So obviously if you're doing a product, it's a bit harder without like external funds.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's different ways to, to do that.
0: For the, for the listeners and if they were at a spot where they're trying to grow their business, especially if they're a solopreneur what is your advice to them on how to get that extra help and then after we'll talk about like how you took it to the next level
1: perfect yeah i'll give you an example with startup and necessarily like solopreneurs but like small companies yeah work with a lot of startups uh, at Ozidea. one of like the the common mistake i see and i've been doing it as well is that often we focus a lot on the on the product itself, on the quality of the service we deliver, and, and often we neglect the, the sales parts. Even for us, as the example of Zedea, we've hired the first person in sales only last year. It only makes one year we have a person in a role like in a sales role. Mm-hmm. And after having that person for one year, I'm realizing that if we had focused focus on sales earlier on, we're we'll probably maybe like double the size today hiring a person in sales like three, four years ago. So often I see we work with startups, we, we polish their product, they invest a lot in their product. It, it's a good quality product. And then they are short on cash to focus on the sales. They didn't prioritize that. So even though they have the best product, it can still be tough to sell. Like selling software is not easy. So I think for, for me, one of the advice um, uh, I give to, to my clients that, that come to us is don't forget the sales parts, focus on it. And it's, just, it's not just as easy as like, uh calling your friends right there's like techniques there's still to do it, it's like uh, and, and to focus on that
0: mm-hmm. oh wow I, I didn't realize that at all and i'm sure it's so difficult with software
1: like yeah, it's not it's just, easy right like, yeah it just problem.
0: seems like cold calling right
1: i'm, not exactly. sure. <laughs> I'm just like well, hey. you, <laughs> you buy a bike at the store you see it you can touch it yeah you you like it you don't like it you buy software you buy something that they are going to see in three months and six months from now so it's going to be really tough it's really tough to say okay yeah i want to do it so selling that needs a a lot of trust from the clients to when they pick a partner for for their software
0: so interesting is there is there any other mistake not necessarily mistakes but thing pieces of advice that you would give to small businesses on how to scale their growth maybe a little bit faster
1: uh, Yeah, I think like for sales for me is like a is, is a big one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, like I think like uh, as a second thing, like doing quarterly work, you know, like uh, and being loyal to clients, and, mm-hmm. you know, like often you get a client that's been with you f- for many years and then you get another one that's more money or more interesting and so on. But mm-hmm. I think being loyal to your clients, to the people who help you like getting started, brings you a long way because there are people, they're ambassadors, they can like reference you to other clients. So mm. I think some, we work with clients that were there with us when we started like uh, hiring people. So like uh, five, six years ago, they're still with us. So it's, it's really fun to see and they're, they're great ambassadors. They bring us works. We need to build a case study. They're open to do it. So, so it, can help, uh, it can help us a lot now by having stayed with them. Even though like today, we don't charge them, we charge them a lower rate, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, with all those kind of things that, that come with it, but it's still worth it to, to keep those people on barbecue.
0: Yeah. The long-term value of having the customer mm-hmm. and out of curiosity, cause you create the software and then you give it to them. How do you, do they keep coming back for different software or do you continuously work on the software with them?
1: Yeah. In fact, like when, when people approach us for the first time, like they have the uh, you build a software, it's kind of like a one-off contract. But the reality is, is when you build a software, it's kind of like never ending. There's always improvement you can do. There's mm-hmm. always like new opportunities, new market you want to reach with that software or new improvement. You want to use it internally to improve your processes. Then it works. You want to improve more processes internally. So, so there's always work to do. So I think like the key for us is always focusing like on, on doing like a good software, good quality. But not only that is also like, the experience of our clients so when we work when we do like web product when you talk about like a, a product we often talk about a like user experience so the person mm-hmm. using your software but there's a lot of stuff going for us like since we build a software it takes us months so we work with a client months so the experience the clients has with us so i we communicate with him the updates we give him the methodology how we make his life simple but he's still he or she is still involved in the process to give feedback and so on so so that experience of building the software with us and being interesting because so really often I speak with people and they dislike their IT department. They dislike their IT provider, you know, like they, they're not happy. It's too slow. It's not efficient. Like they mm-hmm. don't understand the processes. So I think us, we put a lot of emphasis on like the, the customer experience. So like when they work with us, like not the actual product, we do them a good quality one, but I, when they work with us, we want to make their life easier. And what's funny is that, um, like a couple of years ago, like five, six years ago, it was not a strength. Like it was actually a weakness. And some clients really liked the product we built for them, gave us the feedback. You know, Martin, like uh, the product is great. We love it. We're happy with the result. But the road to get there was really rocky and bumpy, right? It, it caused us maybe a bit of stress or we had to create work, rework or so on. So, so we took that feedback. And now uh, taking that feedback, uh, now we use it as a strength, right? We, we, we took it. We digested it. We say, okay, we could complain and say they're, they're wrong, but let's take it, let's try to improve. And now today that's kind of a strength that we use as a selling point and clients like it. And then they, they also, it's also a reason why they stay with us in the future.
0: I think that's a great point on how to grow your business is always considering customer feedback and then implementing it and making those changes. Because it's one thing to ask for the feedback and then ignore it. But you guys have implemented it now and it's a strength, which is amazing
1: yeah and i feel really lucky that those clients and they they know who they are that that they gave us that feedback right like uh, mm-hmm. uh I, I one client i almost left like the meeting when the project was done like i was like not trying in my car but i was really sad I was like it's done with them it's never gonna happen it's a it's a big corporation and, uh, mm-hmm. and they call us back right because they, they like the end product but you guys need to improve and we did improve and i will continue to work with them afterwards and for me i will always respect the person who gave me that feedback so mm-hmm. So also my advice is don't be shy to give feedback, right? If the person would just have ignored it and not given to us, maybe we're not there today. Like yeah, uh, but
0: you were also receptive, right? Because yeah. you could have cried in your call in your car and then never answered their phone call again. <laughs> 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 right? So it's yeah, great exactly. that you were receptive and then you're like, okay, everyone, like we're changing things. So that was I think that's that's one of your strengths as well.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. And I wanna I wanna shift gears a little bit here. Yeah. I know that you don't have a hierarchy, like managers and stuff like that, in your in in your business. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Maybe I got that wrong, and how it all works.
1: <laughs> no, no, you, you didn't get it wrong. Like, um, in fact, like we we use kind of a, a hierarchy that's kind of like a flat structure. And there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of myths about flat structure. Does it really work or not? So. So yes, it's a bit chaotic, but it's kind of an organized, uh, organized chaos, which which is great. Um, but I think that there's pros and cons into everything. But one of the pros in that formula uh, of not having a formal hierarchy, so if you have someone at the office who's their manager, like, they don't know, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. they don't know who's their manager. So. But um, one of the big advantages is that it gives uh, like, a lot of opportunity and freedom to people uh, to bring ideas to the table, to push ideas. Like, you know, you're not dependent on one manager or two managers to approve your idea, right? So you have an idea, you talk it to a couple of colleagues, they're behind you, you create a team, and you move that idea forward. And what a good example for that, that where it helped us, grow our business is the, op- the office we open in France. So I had two people in the company that were from France, worked with us for three years, and at uh, different points, a couple months apart, decided to go back to France. And by pure coincidence, they went back to the same city in France uh, in Mount. So one because he's from there, one because he studied there, and you know what they wanted to say like to continue to work towards the and they wanted a bit more as well they're like hey martin could, could we open an office like uh, we could do it and so on so so they prepared a project they brought the idea and like there's no form there's not a formal hierarchy and even with myself so who am i to say like no guys you cannot gonna do it so look we this is the budget you ask we do have the money available so so go ahead and start that project and, and try it out so and it 's about like uh, one year and a half now that, that we started the project, and the bureau, the office there now is uh they started two now they're five and uh, they're looking for more people to join the team and it 's working so but having a formal hierarchy, maybe they would have proposed that to their boss, mm-hmm. their boss could have been shy to talk to me about it, say no it 's not the right time, blah blah, maybe that person was not interested in overseas projects so so I mean that way there's like a lot of like rapid communication like people are really free to bring ideas so for us it works out really well
0: I do not know you guys had a, a full office there yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah it's that's... nice I love to go to France so that's, that was a great thing right so
0: <laughs> I'm gonna come visit your offices in Montreal yeah. and in France
1: <laughs> yeah you should you should like they're, they're both really nice so.
0: <laughs> that's awesome so other than um, you mentioned before like the sales and getting more customers what do you th- what other factor do you think contributed to your the growth of your business
1: yeah, I think like uh, to what I mentioned a bit at the beginning about extreme sports I think like taking a bit of risk um, is something that helps us grow our, uh, grow our company and by being my saying taking risk I'm not saying to do like uh, stupid stupid things or like very risky things that are not like thought through, uh and so on what i mean by there is being more kind of a by taking risks is being open-minded right so yeah. there's stuff that can be a bit risky or a bit like out of our comfort zone or it's not something that we offer that we're not planning to do or so on uh but by being open-minded and say okay let's try it let's see the opportunity is there something for us there uh it can bring opportunities, and it's going to bring you to take those opportunities. One example is that, you know, like we hear a lot about like the uh, AI, like artificial intelligence, uh, hype and so on. And there's like very great companies in Montreal about that. But a lot of the AI is done within product companies, so startups that have a great products, they embed an AI into that. One of the things that we decided to do this year, like for us, taking a risk, is say, okay, let's invest in AI at Ozelia Alex hire people that have like knowledge in that field or are experts, a lot of experience. So it's a big investment for us. Um, but in the future, it's probably gonna pay because as a service company, there's not a lot of service companies like us structured to do AI for their clients that are not tech companies, so like more manufacturing and like uh, businesses like they do like production and so on. The AI can solve a lot of their problems um but uh but it's tough for us like to they're not aware about ai you know it's tech it's foreign to them so for us it's kind of a risk say let's do that but by being open-minded people brought that to my attention hey we should do it we should try it we're not going to get a lot of revenue from that this year but in three years from now that's probably going to be like one of our big like growth vector but we have to start it now we have to be open-minded about it try it and, and see what happens so to me, like being risk, uh, taking risks, being open minded is, is very important to, to grow your business.
0: Especially like you're thinking three years ahead. So that's cool.
1: Because yeah.
0: a lot of people are like, oh, what are, what are our quarterly sales? What, what are we going to do in 2020? You know? But you're thinking like, no, we can do this if we spend enough time and money into it. And then the next three years, we're going to be rich
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> or we're going to have fun. At least we're going to have fun. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just kidding, but yes. Um, so I'm just thinking uh, in terms of, because I was thinking about like your, how diverse your projects are. Can you, can you, how many projects can you take on at once?
1: Mm, the number like really depends also on the size of projects mm. we have. Um, at the moment so we could have like many small ones maybe less bigger ones at the same time but I don't have an exact number but usually we're running I would say in parallel uh, maybe eight to ten projects like uh, mm-hmm. and out of them maybe like two or three are smaller ones so maybe like five large projects in, in, pa- in parallel maybe that, that we're doing so yeah, yeah
0: because I was just thinking like, right now you guys you're 40 right but you really need all those people to be working on different projects and the number of projects you take on depends on how many people you have
1: yeah Yeah. so it's like
0: a vicious circle
1: (laughs) yeah like one of like the one of the pains of like our industry the service space is that there's never like a great spot right so at some point you have too many people in the team you don't have enough work Mm-hmm. And then like three months later, that's the opposite. You have too much work and not enough people. And then three months later, that's <laughs> the opposite. You have, like, And then it just keeps going on and on and on. And you think like when you're five people in the, in the team, you're like, oh yeah, when I'm going to be like 10 or 15, that, that's going to be easier. And then once you're 10 or 15, you're like, at 25 that's gonna be easier so yeah now we're 40 we're like okay at sixty, seventy five, <laughs> it's gonna be easier but that's not gonna be easier that's gonna be the same problem but Cause yeah because yeah. it's
0: always you're always kind of chasing like how do you know how many projects to take on or do you have projects on hold like a wait list or something because like when you want to grow right you have to make sure you're taking off enough projects to to like pay the people that you already have and then new people so you kind of always have to have an influx i don't know i'm just trying to figure out how to grow this services business i don't know
1: (laughs) the thing is like how we work is like we can never stop selling right so even though we're full we're always like full-on on on the sales process because Mm. doing sales especially in our field can take a lot of time you know like we can work with a potential clients for months, like uh, yeah. even like sometimes up to a year before it works out, so we cannot just wait because once we'll need work, maybe mm-hmm. there's not going to be work at, at that specific moment, so we're always on the lookout for for projects but obviously there's always like some techniques you know like when we're full we're still doing sales, but we might try to increase our margins a little bit, and if the client comes in then it gives more and more more kind of leeway to to recruit or to to do other things to help us absorb that work and reorganize ourselves. Um but one of the key things although is even though we're a small company, you know, we hired like a full time person in charge of like uh recruitment. So uh, that person helps us a lot to to um, to react to the spikes, hire more people when, when we need to do so. Uh, so that's been really helpful really for us. Like uh, I didn't think uh when I was building a business that at 40 people i will need a person in charge of like only only recruiting yeah but since we have that person within the team for us it's been a game changer and we really appreciate that uh, the fact that we can kind of hire on demand uh, it smooths out the process that person brings with comes in with some expertise and stuff and and to us where we're in a field where where we sell our talent right we sell our expertise uh the people the people is really 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 key like in every business people is key but we don't have machine we don't have a product we have like expertise that we sell so the the people on the team are are key so having that person as well help us to be always always on the lookout for like the the best people so we're constantly looking and once we have a great fit we will hire the person nevertheless even if there's no work because we know work will come at some point so we're always always
0: but in terms of that means you you for sure have some capital like saved up for that, right? Because yes, it's not yeah. every small business that can be like hire them.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, it's not. But right. obviously, like we're very careful with with the with the with the people we with yeah the, the team. So I mean, like we're always hiring, but we won't hire like ten people tomorrow, right? So maybe one. One person uh, next week, maybe another person in three or four weeks from now. But okay. we go like we go at a slow pace, but we make sure it's the it's the right people. And I think like to your point, yeah, like uh, you know when when you start to to make a profit and all that stuff, it's tempting to say okay let's let's make the office like twice bigger and like beautiful stuff and like uh, arts on the wall you know, and yeah. those kind of things. Uh, although we have a beautiful office that i really like you know we still get our furniture from ikea or even yeah. from Marketplace. we buy used so it's if you search it's beautiful stuff but i mean being careful with how you manage your your money mm-hmm. and trying to give it give the most money to your people in the team in, in terms of salaries and stuff like that rather than spending on useless stuff so like uh, empty space or you know like things that don't bring value or expensive cars stuff like that. It's perfectly valid to buy an expensive car if you want. But uh, I mean, being careful with how you manage your money. For us, mm-hmm. it's what makes us a stable company. Can invest in in projects when we want to. Going through COVID without any like really issues and so on. So, mm-hmm. um, so I so say I think it gives us like some a, a sense of strength as well because we know we can try things and we're not under risk of like being. Uh, uh, going to the bank to to help us, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's important. Just like having that security, and and it, it really mu- it coincides with your values of being like a risk taker and trying new things. Like you would have never been able to go to France and open an office there if you weren't if you didn't already have that mentality to be open minded. And to be open minded, you have to have you know cash on on hand to be able to do that, right?
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's it
0: yeah. <laughs> It's, it's like a full circle. It all, it all works all together. That's for sure. And I'm actually just curious, in terms of like charging your, your customers, do you charge them like let's say 50% up front and then 50% at the end of the project?
1: Uh, yeah, not really. Uh, because since our projects are quite large, uh, mm. usually they spend months and so on. So charging a 50% deposit would be like too much upfront for the client and 50% of the remaining at the end would maybe like too much for us to wait until the end. So yeah. we go more on a, on a progressive basis based on the percentage of advancements of the work every month, which we agree with the client uh, and we go that way. So I find it's, it's safer for the clients. It doesn't need, we do ask for a deposit. Like uh, I've been burned sometimes of not asking a deposit and feeling the pain afterwards. Mm-hmm. I always recommend to ask for a deposit uh although you trust the person you like the person the person is really cool you know (laughs) um but uh the person paid for the lunch when you were with that person but like (laughs) don't look at that ask for a deposit but 50 percent, depending on the project could be like a bit heavy uh to start so
0: Mm -hmm. okay okay that makes sense yeah because i was just wondering if you're working on a project for a year pricing kind of you, you need that profit coming in kind of the whole way through. <laughs>
1: Correct, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, you also, you mentioned profit a couple of times. At what point, like, did it take those three years, those first three years to make a profit? Or were you making a profit almost immediately?
1: Uh, but it depends, like, how you see it. So basically, when, when I was alone, I was getting projects. So that was transferred into salaries. So mm-hmm. basically... Like, uh, I had what I, sell, what, what I sold, right? So it was pretty tiny, uh, to be honest, uh, the first three years. Uh, but there's like I I'll go back to, I'll tell you a story. Like, one of my friends, when I, when I quit my job at Park Gamble, my friend owns a, owns a business in my hometown of, like, a huge one, like 500 people, and uh, he's very successful. He does really great work. But when I quit my job at Park & Gamble, I had lunch with him and say. I'm starting my business. He's like, yeah, let's do it Mark, Like you can do it. That's gonna be great. And I was like, yeah, I think like in two years from now, like I'm gonna be there. And that is like, ah, oh, Martin. Like I don't want to be like to annoy you, but in my experience, it takes at least five years to get something that is sustainable. And I was like, oh, ah, yeah. yes, I understand. <laughs> but like me, you know, like I can do it. Like yeah, two years and a to me two years were like on the far side was like one year most likely but, mm-hmm. but then with the years you know I got working I freelance I got some people to join us and I realized that what I realized is that after five years I started to get something that was sustainable that I was a bit more comfortable you know having like a normal normal salary the company mm-hmm. was more secure we had processes in place things were there you know I could could go away and people would backfill and things would still work so but it did take five years so in terms of profit you know like we always had a small one but before it's really sustainable for us took around like five years to get to something that's that's decent so I didn't believe him, but now I believe <laughs> now when I tell people yeah yeah you're really good but it's gonna take you five years <laughs>
0: I think that's a great lesson five years I didn't know that I've talked to many entrepreneurs and no one has told me that before so okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it's a great lesson that's good
1: to know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about it it is but he told me that it was that for me so I'm giving that advice don't be like too too, too hopeful for the beginning no it's yeah. gonna work you're gonna survive that's great mm-hmm. but if you go through like a couple of years, then, then after that, it's going to be, it's gonna be more, more fun.
0: So kind of shifting gears again a little bit. I know before we were talking about employees and, and that was kind of like a pain point as in someone's always, you, you know, you actually have a recruiter to look for people depending on your work. Other than that, was there any growing pains that you had to overcome? And can you tell us about any of them?
1: there's uh, there there's always challenge you know when, when we work with people and, and that's the beauty of diversity like you know we're all different and diversity is not just like the, the language or the skin color or whatever it's more also like personality right we all have like different personalities and that that's what's beautiful but also what sometimes creates problem and friction so obviously within team members you know like some some discussions and some stuff and like uh Situation to deal and manage. The more people you grow in the team, the more likeliness that it's gonna happen, and that you're gonna to have to manage that. So, so obviously that that's something that can be challenging. Uh, also, dealing with performance, right? So it's not always it's not always easy, you know. Like uh, some people can perform a lot for like many years, but then they can stop performing. Are uh, people that you hire you expect they will be at a certain level? They don't perform, and if you want to have a work environment that works well, you know you want colleagues that works with you that are great. You know, you. I want to work with people that I can learn from. I want to work with people that, you know, you ask them for help and they're able to help you. They say they'll do it and they do it. So mm-hmm. so to me, that's important. And I know a lot of people value that as well. And sometimes it happens that in a team, uh, some people will perform less and dealing with that is something that's not easy. You know, it's get, it gets a lot of, it's like, personal it's emotive, it's it's not simple um so i find that that's a challenge as well mm-hmm. but at the same time you know working with people and being in a team is one of the most beautiful thing right i i didn't really like freelancing and being alone uh, mm-hmm. some people do and I, I respect that but for me i find that tough like i always like team sports i like being in a team i like seeing people I like talking i like winning together you know like uh, winning alone is, is great but winning as a team is so much more fun to celebrate that together uh, mm-hmm. so so for me like that offsets all the problem uh you can have have dealing with people managing uh, human yeah. resources uh by team. That the I just <laughs> just
0: uh for an example for the listeners let's say i was working for you and in- as a programmer, I don't even know what I'm saying, but let's say I was <laughs> and I wasn't performing up to your standards. How do you normally go about addressing that issue?
1: Yeah, like, uh, yeah, that's a tough situation. That's, that's a tough discussion, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think the, the first thing is, it's important to, to give feedback to the person and try also to understand uh, the person because, uh, you know, like, during one month, it's perfectly fine. You know, like stuff can happen. You know, like you can you can live personal situation. You can leave, whatever reason you can be sick or stuff. So that's totally normal. I think the issue is when Morgan's like it's a sustained lower performance than expected. Uh, the key thing is to discuss with the person, try to understand, give feedback, uh, share a plan, make sure we're all aligned, make sure the other person also is still motivated is still into it try to understand and help right because in every situation i always always believe that there's two sided two sides so yes the person is not performing but also the company and myself there's maybe something that we've done that Mm -hmm. prevents that person to perform once that's done then we move together you know we we agree to some things and, and things continue and then at some point then we discuss again with the person and if, it, if there's no way to resolve the result of the situation, um, there's, at some point you don't, you don't have a choice than to let go the person. I seem very radical, but I think it's also something that I was not doing a lot. I was not, we're not a lot focused on performance before uh, and we're more in the past few years and it helped us grow a lot. Performance mm-hmm. doesn't mean to be kind of like military style, uh, like I mentioned, or working 80 hours. That's no It's like being performant is to behave according to the company values it's to be um, accountable, you know, like when you do when you say you do things, you do them mm-hmm. your passion and what you do, and when you come to the office so when you go to your office at home you're there and you're working, you're passionate you're not doing 20 other things so so I think that's all around performance and a funny, funny story about that, you know, like uh, uh, a lot of some people came to ZDL and some, some people now work elsewhere and, and, and that's great, there's some people in the past uh, that add to let go. And what's funny is often the people that will wish me uh happy birthday or Merry Christmas are people that have fired and say Martin like one year after that they write to me, you know what? That's what I needed. Um I, I was not there. I didn't realize I learned from it. Now I have a great job that I love and more performance. So for them it also it's also been a situation. Maybe they were not in the right place. Maybe mm. uh, Maybe they were just not yet ready for their work market or something. So, but to me, it always like, struck me that people that I got along really well as team members and went elsewhere, uh, they, don't, they don't have to write to me at my birthday, obviously. But usually I get messages from people that I've let go and say, Martin, you know what? Thanks, thanks for the experience you, you, you gave me. Uh, a day. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And Thanks for making that decision that now puts me in a much better place uh, because I had a wake-up call or something. So.
0: This is exactly like the story you were telling me about your client. He did the same thing for you, and now you're paying it forward to your, to your employees.
1: <laughs> it's not it's not common, but uh, but yeah. I think performance is a tough topic. And then mm-hmm. your question about like uh, working with people and growing a team what sort of pain points? Performance is definitely a, a tough thing. Yeah. To
0: yeah well thanks for sharing that with us and just before we end this interview i have one last question for you yeah. so this is the no formula podcast because okay. there is no formula to success what do you think is your formula that got you to where you are today
1: yeah um, i think like two things there's like a, a personal formula there's a team formula like on the on the personal side uh, I don't think, I don't believe that um, I'm really like the, the smartest person or the more creative person. Like, in fact, my friends always laugh at me, but that's not important. I think where, where my strength is, I think like uh, I'm an art worker and like an art worker, I think it's where it puts me where I'm today. And by hard work, I don't mean like working 80 hours a week in a sustained manner and like be overworked and burnt out. Burnt out. I think it's, one is the time to push and two, do that 60 hours for two weeks in a row to do it and be happy about doing it and to be able to take like vacation and to rest afterwards. Right. So, so I think that that's really, a, a, I think hard work it's where I think uh, it puts, it puts me in artworks as well Is could be what I explained. It's also like often doing things, you know, like when I work for Proton Gamble, I always put more than I had to. And you know, some people are like, Hey Martin, why are you doing that? Like, uh, you don't have to do this. Like uh, everything's going well, like stop doing that. But to me, I liked it. And I knew that by, working a bit harder i would learn more i would like get new techniques i would maybe get promoted faster so get new responsibility and my, my my growth personal growth curve would be faster in an exponential manner so to me that's that was a key so often we think like i want to have a great life work-life balance or work life harmony right I, I don't want to work too much and stuff but not being overworked but sometimes putting a bit more is going to bring you a long way forward and as well, I think like our formula to success, like I think at Osodeo, like our, our formula to success is the team, right? So I think a lot of companies will say that, but I truly believe it. Like we have an, an awesome team. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be there; things go perfectly smooth, if not better than than when I'm there. I think I'm kind of troublemaker at the <laughs> office, like, so. So and I like our people are challenging me. I like the the team spirit uh, that we have. It's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So. Uh, Obviously, like at the like our, our success were super talented, expertise, everything, but I think our team is, is what makes us successful uh, at the moment.
0: Well, Martin, thank you so much for sharing all your sh- expertise with us today and uh, and thank you for sharing your formula to success.
1: Ah, oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for having me tonight.
0: Before ending this episode, I want to highlight how Martin grew his business. First, focus on sales. He's worked with many startups who wanted to perfect their product before reaching out to prospects, but he thinks that this is a mistake because eventually you run out of money and then can't afford the outreach. In his own experience, he said that he should have hired someone in sales much sooner. 2. Focus on the customer experience. By building customer loyalty, you retain customers for a longer time. That way you are growing your customer list as opposed to replenishing it. 3. Take customer feedback Be receptive to feedback and adjust your business accordingly. In Martin's case, he turned his customer feedback into a company strength that is now consistently benefiting them and helping them grow. 4. Be open to opportunities By having a flat structure, Martin encourages new ideas amongst his employees, and in many cases, these opportunities help grow the company. 5. Always be selling. Ensure your sales pipeline is as full as possible at all times. And finally, 6. Identify industry growing pains. In Martin's case, he's always had an issue balancing employees and projects. Sometimes there isn't enough work and sometimes there's too much. His solution was to hire one person for recruitment who can take care of this issue. And what could have led to major issues is now resolved. And those are Martin's six tips to grow your business. Thank you for listening, everyone.